Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Duel of the Fates Nerdcast. I am Evan Kruger. And I'm Eric Emmons. And we'd like to start out by talking about the name of our podcast. If you haven't noticed, we use the wrong spelling of the word duel. And there's a very interesting and intricate reason for that. It's because when I wrote it down the first time, <laughs> I spelled it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I have an idea. And I did. I had an idea. Yeah. There's two of us. <laughs> and sometimes we have different opinions. So like, it's like we're dueling. But a duality, <laughs> as in two people doing a podcast. Yeah. Hence, so. hence the name... The Duel of the Fates Nerdcast, also to avoid any sort of copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, definitely the other reason. <laughs> so we we just we we wanted to explain that because we know eventually that somebody was going to say something about that, and we wanted to preempt that because we're smart. Got you guys. We promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to start out like we did last time, talking about the latest Star Wars news that is of note, and once again, the latest Star Wars news <sighs> is about Solo. Uh, Star Wars story. Uh, StarWars.com came out with their official description of Solo, a Star Wars story, saying it's going to be filled with daring escapades deep within a dark and dangerous criminal underworld. Um, what do you think about this, Eric? Um, well, yeah. They didn't even, what else were they going to say? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an adventure in lollipop world. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it kind of has to be. But um, I guess the one thing that stuck out to me was dark and dangerous criminal underworld. I mean, at least they're not making this kind of, I don't know, boring. I don't know. It seems darker, exciting, you know. I mean, but they have to say that stuff. So, like, you know, I mean, also in the quote, they said that, uh, you know, Hansel is going to meet Chewbacca and Lando. And so we have confirmation now, though we all suspected it, that this will be the movie where we see Han Solo meet Chewbacca and meet Lando. And uh, so I guess... I'm excited to see how that turns out, but otherwise, I mean, I think we all kind of figured this is what they're going to have to say something like this. Yeah, and I, I, I'm I think it's interesting how that kind of contrasts with the picture that we initially got of Solo: A Star Wars Story <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a comedy. And I'd always kind of wondered how that was going to work out. Like we talked about last week, like Han Solo is not a comedic character. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be funny moments. It still could be funny. Oh, it will be. But at the same time, I think a uh, if you're talking about a guy that's a smuggler and a, actually a criminal, uh, how how yeah. lighthearted can the movie really be? I guess I just am hoping this movie doesn't feel like Guardians of the Galaxy, mm -hmm. which I love both of those movies. But um, there's kind of an adventure-filled, smuggler-filled feel to that movie, mm -hmm. in, in a sense. And um, I hope this movie feels darker and less... Uh, I just don't want it to feel like that. It needs to feel Star Wars. It needs to feel underworld, like criminal underworld. Like, and that that is something that Star Wars hasn't always, I don't know, in recent times maybe captured as well. I even think like when you look at the Clone Wars and how they handled maybe some of the underworld stuff in the prequels, uh, I don't know. It didn't seem that scary to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'll be interested to see how much, uh, how humor filled they go with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of news we already were expecting, but we are, I'm glad we have it now so we can get that out of the way. You know. Other sort of, uh, I guess you could call this news, is that um, Liam Neeson was quoted as saying that he would be more than willing to be in the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi film. Yeah. 
I mean, what do you think? What do you think? I, I would absolutely love that. And you said it earlier that, you know, all the time we get people saying, I'd love to be in this movie. I would totally do that. And then we never actually get it. Mm-hmm. But this is one instance where it doesn't make sense to me for Disney to not listen to the fans. Of course we want Qui-Gon. We haven't seen him since episode one. We've heard about him. He was in the Clone Wars for one episode. Yeah. But um, yeah. we just haven't seen him. And the, the idea of the Force Ghost, like he's the one that figured out how to become a Force Ghost. And we haven't seen him in a movie since. Yeah. And, I mean, also, um, I mean, he was supposed to, we were talking about this, he was supposed to be in Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Um, he was supposed to be in the end scene when Yoda's, um, at the very end of the movie, Yoda was going to have a conversation with him, and it got cut, which to me is just sad, because it would have been, it could have been amazing, mm-hmm. really, and it would have tied the first movie in a little bit better, because um, you kind of can get rid of that movie, yeah. <laughs> and you still have a great, you still have the same story, really. Right. That movie yeah. doesn't add anything new. Um so, yeah, I mean, I will say, Disney has been, they do listen to their fans to a point. I mean, I would say that the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie is largely due to, like, a lot of you guys out there listening, and I know me and Evan, I mean, whether well, it was just social media or whatever it was, I mean, we were talking off the Obi-Wan movie. Like, it had to happen for us, you know? And I, I think I think Disney listened. I do. I, do, I don't think that was in their original plan way back when they were creating everything for Star Wars. And I think they did hear the overwhelming cries for an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. So hopefully they listen to this. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, what, what is Qui-Gon doing out there in the Force Ghost right. world right now? I mean, he wasn't... I mean, why isn't he in The Last Jedi, you know? I mean, I have to think there's more going on with Force Ghost, and we're going to actually talk about that later a little bit. Right. But Force in particular. But uh, I don't know. I, I've always had a little problem with the fact that the Force Ghost just just show up like little therapists yeah. you know like yeah. oh you're depressed well here i am here's a quote you can uh, write this down uh go out there and kill him yeah going forward in episode nine that we know that's going to be explained a little bit more but i think adding um force ghost qui-gon to this obi-wan anthology film could go a long way to mm-hmm. filling that sort of gap yeah also yeah. i i i think really the purpose of the anthology films at least in my mind is to be tangential and yet integral to the wider Star Wars story as a whole. They're not so broad, really, that they're a whole, like, uh, another addition to the canon, really, Mm -hmm. a, a whole big movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. But they're still telling a story that's important. And I think that what Obi Wan did between episodes three and four is extremely important. We've only, there's been comics about that that aren't canon anymore. We've gotten some books about that that aren't canon anymore. And we saw a little bit of old Ben Kenobi right before A New Hope in Rebels. But that's about it. Yeah, which was amazing. But we still don't really know all that much what he's doing. Did he stay on Tatooine the whole time? What sort of danger was Luke ever in when he was growing up that Obi-Wan got him out of? That maybe Luke didn't even know about. Yeah. And uh, people have pointed this out before, but um, I don't know if this is worth pursuing. But really, uh, Anakin Skywalker, when he meets, when, when they fight in episode three, right? Then there's this long gap, and then he, they fight, you know, he fights Vader, and he says, What's he say to Vader? Um, you know. Uh, uh, the last time we fought, um, you were. What, what does he say? 
the last time you fought, you were the master, but now I'm the master. Something yeah, like that. something like that. And it's always not made a lot of sense. And I, was, and I was but a learner. Yeah. Now I'm the master. Yeah. But anyways, a lot of people pointed out that you could have, and, and of course, I do not want oversaturation with Darth Vader, but other people pointed out, um, other, uh, Christian Harloff over at Collider, pointed out that like Darth Vader would actually be a suitable bad guy for an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Um, I, but if we're gonna get him in solo, then you just then you're oversaturating us. I don't need him in three of the three standalone movies. If he wasn't gonna be in solo, which it sounds like he is, and I have problems with that, but we'll see how it turns out. I wouldn't mind seeing Vader in Obi Wan. You know, I think I mean, one problem with that is that how much of the Empire can you really get involved because. Darth Vader didn't know about Luke. No, I agree, but there's just a lot of open-endedness to even their discussion when they. There definitely seems to have been, as people pointed out, a possible meeting between him facing him as Anakin and facing him as Vader. Another time he they met. That just, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just what some people have got out of it. And I I would agree that you could make that argument, but I don't know who. I mean, I don't even know who I'd want to be the villain for an Obi Wan Kenobi movie, but that hasn't been talked about much. But it could be yeah. a lot of interesting things. Maybe. Bounty Hunter or something? Bounty Hunter. I don't know. Can it be Imperial? Because I feel like um, <laughs> if you have if you throw the Empire in there, don't you think that if Darth Vader knows where Obi-Wan is, that yeah. he's going to want to come and kill him? I, I agree. I mean, but that's assuming that for sure, which I do think it's very likely Obi-Wan, this is going to be a movie set purely on Tatooine, mm -hmm. and I think it should be. But you could definitely see him going off and doing something else. I mean, mm -hmm. who knows? But... I agree. It probably won't be. If it's on Tatooine, it's not going to be Imperial. Uh, I, it shouldn't be. That's but the then who line. is it? I mean, If yeah. it's just a bunch of sand people, <laughs> how much am I really going to care about? Even if, even if I get Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson in this movie, I'm still going to be disappointed if the people I'm rooting against are just a bunch of Tusken Raiders. You know, it would have been sick if they would have left the Darth Maul thing just off of Rebels right. and then made Darth Maul come back for yeah. everyone. That would have been sick. Do you think they could just remake that scene no, perfectly? I mean, oh, do I want them to? But at the same time, like, that's really old. Yeah. That's old. Yeah, 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 you're right. And even yeah. uh, Gregor is playing old Ben. Well, middle aged Obi Wan Ben. I mean, Obi. you know, Ewan McGregor is not confirmed for this movie yet, which is true. It makes me nervous. Like, why isn't he? Like, why isn't he? Why has he, when he was recently asked, said that he hasn't heard anything yet? Like, was he lying? And he might have been. That's what I mean. Yeah. He might have been, but, like, I get nervous sometimes. Disney, Disney messes this up. Uh, th there's no way. There's no way they can mess this up. Ewan McGregor is one of the few things that everybody likes yeah. about the prequels. I've never met a guy that's like, yeah, the prequels are good, but eh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, eh. like, that guy doesn't exist. He's every <laughs> He's everyone's favorite prequel character besides Darth Maul. Yeah. And, and even that, I think most people like him more than Darth Maul. Right. I do. Yeah. I like Darth Maul a lot, but like, mm -hmm. there's something so charming and lovable about Obi Wan Kenobi. He's so he's so gallant. He's so noble. Especially like, especially in the Clone Wars, like mm -hmm. you, you feel so much for the guy with all that he goes through, and he's still one of the kindest Jedi out there. Yeah. Well, even yeah, in the Clone Wars, I mean, talk about some stuff he went through, and does he ever even? even turn dark for a moment. I mean, a lot of other Jedi have dark moments, and I'm sure if we thought hard enough, we could think of something where he's bendable, but he's just a, overall a strong man in the Force, yeah. you know? One um, one thing from a lot of the comics about <clears throat> Obi-Wan between Episodes 3 and 4 
is that he's really going crazy a little bit. Yeah. He's, he talks to himself sometimes, and I wonder if we'll if they'll go that route. It's interesting when you think of Yoda, right? Mm-hmm. Episode 3 Yoda to Episode 5 Yoda. Um, there's a huge change, and Yoda seems to have gone crazy a little bit. And it's almost like, I wonder if when a Jedi is alone long enough with the Force, they do. You know, there's something where they've kind of gotten over this world a little bit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe that's not true, but uh, that'd be, that'd be kind of cool if you incorporated his craziness and attributed it to maybe kind of some Force stuff, really. Yeah. But then but, again, like... Ben, he might be a little wacky, but, you know, I wouldn't call him crazy yeah, in A true, New Hope. True, He's not crazy. Like, he still has his wits about him. I'm talking mainly about, like, what you're talking about, like, in the comics and stuff. But mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, he, he's a very level-headed man. <laughs> but, yeah. So, the, I, I think that pretty much encapsulates all of our expectations for the Obi-Wan movie. That's yeah. not going to be coming out until after Episode Nine. <laughs> But it's still exciting to talk about getting to see Ewan McGregor. It's the first. Back it's the first standalone movie we really, really want. Yeah. Like I think Rogue One was the movie we all wanted but didn't know it. Yeah. Um, Solo is the movie nobody wants and everybody knows we don't want it. <laughs> and and Obi Wan's the movie that we all know we want. Yeah. And it's like so far away. I'm just like, man, it's all I want right now. <laughs> So we're going to be moving into a new segment that we have prepared for you guys, and it's something we're going to be doing regularly. And it's a character spotlight. We're going to be picking a different character each week, going through their story. Um, a little mix of canon and some legend stuff. Some characters we just don't have enough canon stuff right. of. Right. Some we have plenty, uh, but we're you know, you know, we're open to whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about whoever on this show. And what that character means to the Star Wars galaxy as a whole, what they did, what they represented. Mm-hmm. And this week we are doing a an interesting character, Mace Windu. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, what are your thoughts on Mace Windu, Evan? So we actually we doing a little research for the show. We learned a few things about him that we didn't know, and one of them was that he had trouble. Uh, building a lightsaber when he was a young learner. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I, I kind of always assumed that a guy as just attuned <laughs> to the Force and powerful as Mace Windu would have been more apt at building a lightsaber. I think we always kind of think that building a lightsaber is super easy. Like, I don't think I've ever had to sit and think, wait, is that probably difficult? Yeah. Like, it's got to be, it might be a little difficult. But yeah, he did. He had a lot of trouble. Um, and he basically was just like, okay, leave me on the planet. I'll figure it out myself. And he was presented with um, some purple crystals. And that's where he went from there was building his lightsaber. And he was eventually able to do it, you know. And I don't know, it kind of starts to show you a little picture. Well, we have to paint a huge picture here of Mace Windu, but a little picture of him. I mean, he's right. kind of independent yeah. in a sense, you know. He actually had a vision of himself before he built his lightsaber of himself wielding a purple lightsaber, which was... Unique because the yeah. majority of Jedi have blue or green lightsabers. Some Jedi prophecy right mm-hmm. there. And I guess um, uh, foretelling his uh, dance with the dark side in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other th- big thing about Mace Windu is really he he did dance with the dark side a little bit. Um, we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Um, he wasn't. So you think when you think of the most like good Jedi, when you think of a calm, static Jedi who's grounded in the way of the Force in a positive way, you think of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think right. a lot of people do. 
when you think of somebody who's completely dark, you think of Darth Vader, maybe. And then you think of somebody like Mace Windu, and he's hard to put in a box. He's kind of his own category. Someone who was as dedicated to having the Jedi Order follow the Jedi Code as anybody. And in my opinion, and I say this a lot, that I think that Mace Windu is probably the biggest hypocrite in all of Star Wars history. If anybody, it's Mace Windu. Because he... He, for one, he used a lightsaber fighting style that was forbidden for almost every other Jedi, and that was the seventh form, Ju-Yo. He made his own variant of it, Vapod, which basically channels both his dark side tendencies and the dark side in his opponent. And he created it to try to help himself walk that line because he could feel the darkness inside of him. But he still, instead of trying to turn away from it, he decided to embrace it which is something that he discouraged people like Anakin Skywalker from doing. And, and I believe Anakin wanted to kind of adopt that style. Yeah. And uh, Mace Windu being really the person he is, like, was like, no. I think Mace Windu is, as a character, so, like, I love Mace Windu, and yet I don't like a lot about him. Yeah. Um, but his character is very well developed. Mm -hmm. But um, I think he, like, like you said, he's a hypocrite, but I think he is a little wrapped up in himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, he loves the Jedi Order, but at the same time, some of the things he does are very questionable. He, you know, and he's got a lot of weaknesses too that I think are often not talked about enough. You know, we think of him as this amazing swordsman, which he was when he, but I mean, he also <laughs> was probably the most blind person in all of the Jedi Council. I mean, you talk about somebody who like, I mean, like Yoda, we were talking about this earlier. I feel like Yoda, you could say maybe had some feelings something was up with with the emperor mm -hmm. like i don't know it, maybe not but like he definitely wasn't super surprised mm -hmm. i mean mace windu that was somebody who was duped i mean he had his yeah. eyes completely covered over he, he had no clue and when anakin told him i mean he was awestruck mm -hmm. and i think that kind of goes to show his blind trust to the system in some way right. you know but at the same time he was obsessed almost with accruing as much power for himself mm -hmm. as was possible, which is something that was forbidden to any Jedi. And instead he kind of ignored that. And he was per probably the second highest ranking member on the council behind master Yoda. And even still, uh, why, why didn't the council do more about Mace Windu? That's, that's what I've always kind of wondered <laughs> because I don't know. They all seemed to like him, even though they knew exactly the kind of Jedi that he was. You know, one thing that I think was part of that, and we've talk, we were talking about this earlier, but um, his Padawans turned out pretty good. Mm -hmm. I mean, now, granted, that wasn't always the case, but, um, I mean, I think they were, we were watching some stuff earlier, reading some stuff earlier, and I think a lot of the council really didn't want to question his method because mm -hmm. it was producing good fruit. Right. You know, and, I mean... Even in the world today, you have somebody that you want to fire, but they're doing a really good job. You're like, yeah. well, I guess, yeah. you know, and I think there was some of that to Mace Windu, you know. I think maybe the most interesting layer to who Mace Windu is, is his impact on Anakin Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, on the fate of the galaxy as a whole, because I say this often, and this is kind of the consensus of the Star Wars community that we've kind of developed in order to... I guess, come to grips with the prequels, 
is that the reason that Anakin Skywalker turned is because he saw that the Jedi were hypocrites. He saw that they were too wrapped up in politics. They were too wrapped up in the system. They were too wrapped up in the order itself. Yeah. And Anakin kind of hated that. And nobody embodied that like Mace Windu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the character arc of Anakin, I don't think there's one of the most important characters that probably is often overlooked is Mace Windu. Mace Windu is incredibly important in pushing him in a direction that he doesn't want to go. I mean, he kind of seems like that dad who's way too strict and doesn't give any freedom to their son. You know what I'm saying? But still comes home drunk on the weekend. Yes, you exactly. Know? <laughs> exactly. He's, he's that guy, you know? And, I mean, you can start... I think one of the hardest problems with the prequels is you have a hard time ever feeling and sympathizing with Anakin. In this way, I can a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, Anakin has proven himself, especially if you watch The Clone Wars, it adds a layer to it. He's proven himself in so many ways. Now, if you just watch episode two and three, you might say, how has he? You know, yeah. has he really? But you, you watch you watch Clone Wars and you see Anakin Skywalker. and I mean, and for a while, Master Anakin Skywalker. But it really seems like there's a hole, a hole there, a, mm -hmm. a hole there where it doesn't make any sense. And uh, I think Mace Windu's character is very important in, in, in helping me understand Anakin mm -hmm. and appreciating him a little bit more. I'm yeah. trying to appreciate the prequels more. I feel like I do way more than I used to. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of a resurgence in some prequel love. Um, but I think Mace Windu is a character that should be looked at more when discussing Anakin's motives because the whole Padme thing, yeah, it doesn't really work. <laughs> like, yeah. it it's doesn't part, yeah. but it's not all of it. It can't be because yeah. that's it's kind of dumb. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it, it, it just wasn't handled well. <laughs> I mean, you have one of the best actresses, you know, in America right now. And, well, not in America, in the world right now, really. It, it wasn't her her fault for acting. It was just bad storytelling. Yeah. And um, But yeah, like I said, the way I kind of can rationalize that a little bit more now is looking at Mace Windu. And like, yeah, he was a big problem from Anakin's perspective. You know? He was a man that made... He, it was kind of rash, it seemed like, and nothing embodies that more than him rushing to arrest the Chancellor right when Anakin told him that yeah. he was the Sith Lord. He didn't even know for certain. All he had was the word of yeah. this one kid that he didn't even trust. <laughs> yeah. And he gets three other dudes who were obviously not up to the task to go and arrest <laughs> a Sith Lord yeah. that had the entire galaxy. <laughs> I will say, he, I think that kind of shows some of his arrogance. He thinks he's going to be able to do this with this little squadron. Yeah. I mean, how many Jedi do we think are at the Jedi? Like, how many Jedi could he have brought? Way more than what he brought, right? Yeah. Like, I'm guessing, I kind of always feel like this is his little social group. And he's like, guys, hey, hey, yeah. let's go. Let's go. Let's yeah. go save the galaxy and look like a bunch of, like, you know, heroes here. Because, yeah. like, there's so many more people that could help him with this. You know? And, and... No, he just goes off on his own and, and fights a good fight. And we've talked about this before, how much was intentional um, with, you know, uh, the Emperor letting the Emperor let him win. That's kind of been a discussion. But um, either way, you can say that, I mean, through kind of harnessing the Emperor's darkness, what we were just talking about with his, you know, with his style of fighting, he was able to fight probably one of the most powerful beings ever in the Star Wars yeah. universe. Mm -hmm. And I guess that shows both the strength and the weakness of Mace Windu 
in one instance. Uh, <laughs> he, he's such a, a character that embodies tension, really. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah, and I, I think that's why the purple lightsaber is a great choice for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he had a green lightsaber or a blue lightsaber, I, I would be like, okay, yeah. but it would just feel like any other guy, but all of a sudden he's got this weird problem. And I think it's kind of cool that lightsabers do tell a story. The yeah. color of your blade is going to tell you a story, you yeah. know? I think that's about all that we can say about Mace Windu. Yeah. He's a complex him. character. He is. He is. Um, we're going to move from that into something that we kind of uh, referenced earlier, and that's uh, we want to discuss the evolution of the Force throughout both, I guess, Star Wars history and from our perspective, like the unfolding of the movies as well, like yeah. how, how that's happened. Yeah, so... I think what we were talking, what I've kind of been thinking through recently is when you look at the the first three movies and you look at how the Force is handled, right? And then you look at the prequels and how the Force is handled. And then you look at the, the new saga and how the Force is handled. You kind of get three different pictures. And I guess for some people, they may hate how the Force was handled in The Last Jedi in particular. I don't think that much was really developed in force awakens that was new but the last jedi had some insane stuff delving into the force that i I think we should talk about and some people may not like it i personally am a fan of it but um starting with the with the uh with the first three movies the original trilogy um i guess what was your thought on the original trilogy i think this is what we all love this is what started the force for us right this is where we first heard of it where do you how do you feel about the original force if you know what i'm saying it's Probably the most important original trilogy movie concerning the Force is Episode Five because I guess that's the most long, drawn-out discussion about the Force. And really, it's it's Yoda's perspective on the Force, but mm-hmm. it's this—it's mysterious. It's this power that it can be used, but it's not restricted to just one person or even the Jedi. It's between all living things. It's it surrounds us and penetrates us and binds us together. You know, as Yoda says, we're uh, luminous creatures, are we? Not this crude matter. And I guess it's 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 shown as what gives the galaxy life and it what's what makes living in the Star Wars galaxy worth it. Yeah, Star Wars without the Force is not Star Wars. It's it's um, Star Trek. It is, nobody wants that. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants that. I mean, really. <laughs> What, what is the point of Star Trek but to be a rip-off? Well, not a rip-off. A Actually, less cool version. I know, yeah. I know. A less cool, a less cool version, all right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, also, like, just the the first, the trilogy set up the foundation for what, of which the Force could be discussed, right? Like, we knew there could be more abilities within the Force because of how it was originally handled in the trilogy, in the first trilogy. It wasn't a set of rules of how things had to be. It was vague enough that you could fit anything in there that made sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you see Episode Five and Luke's hanging out the uh, the bottom of that uh, at uh, Cloud City, and uh, basically uh, Leia, you know, gets the kind of this feels that she needs to turn around, and they go back and get them. So now you start to understand that the Force actually can communicate things right you're you're developing these concepts so i think everybody if you're not a, if you're a star wars fan you probably like how the force is handled in the first three movies <laughs> the bigger discussion is the prequels uh well that's starting the bigger discussion discussion uh midichlorians what are you thinking evan i'm i'm really glad that midichlorians were only 
referenced in episode one and never again. <laughs> but they were referenced in episode one. Yeah, uh, but it makes it makes it easier for me to forget that they're a thing. Because we forget the movie, so why can't we forget yeah. the, the midichlorians? Yeah, I don't know. It kind of turned it into this, um, I guess, this science-y... Get, try, one thing I love about Star Wars is they don't always try to explain why things happen or why things are even possible. They just are. And it's almost trying to take the Force, which is this esoteric, um, mystical thing, and boiling it down to some creatures in your blood, yeah. which is stupid. <laughs> yeah, so the prequels really were, in my opinion, downhill for the Force, uh, the concept of the Force. Specifically, I mean, it really was just that one scene. When you get the, you know, let's get the little, uh, what did he get? The little, I don't know, little blood. Blood, blood yeah. You know, from little baby, from little Annie. Oh. I mean, it did, it became comical, really. I mean, yeah. it, it was so, and, and I don't know what George Lucas was thinking here, because this isn't like a new company and a new everything, and they're going to try to reinvent it. This is George Lucas. The same guy <laughs> from the original trilogy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I just don't know where he thought that was a good idea. Like, you can see good ideas in the prequels. Darth Maul was a good idea. Qui-Gon Jinn, I think, was a great idea. All those great ideas. And then you hit the midichlorians, and it's just like, what are you doing, George? What are you doing? I mean, that's obviously the biggest downfall. And I think the rest of the... I will say, I think the prequels do kind of make the Force really... And we're talking about this in The Last Jedi, but it does making it moving rocks. It's less... Yeah. It's less... Uh, you can say spiritual in a sense. Mm -hmm. It's less mystical. It becomes literally a power. It becomes this thing that the Jedi Order has a monopoly on, and everybody outside the Jedi Order is either indifferent or hates them. Mm -hmm. And so, as a result of that, a lot of people would be indifferent to the Force hate it, or not even know that it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I actually think, and we can start to dive a little bit, because there's not a, there was just, I feel like there wasn't any interesting new thing that came out of the prequels in the Force. It was just a lack of depth to the Force. And so, I think the new trilogy was actually responding to that a little bit. It was trying to get away from, specifically Last Jedi, when we're talking about the new trilogy, because Force Awakens, for whatever you love about it, it didn't dive into much mystical elements of the Force. That that one quote, though, we use the Force. That's not how the Force <laughs> works. That's the true. The Force isn't just something that you use. Yeah, it, you you do you can use the Force, but that's not all that it is. It's much more important. Mm -hmm. You know that that's why the Jedi are revolve around the Force, right? Because it's it's not like this group of guys who've got this. Yeah, like you said, this monopoly around this power. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what really the, tr the prequels did. And it's one of my biggest problems with the prequels. Um, it, it really is the fact that the Force becomes trivialized. Yeah. Um, so when people talk about the prequels and the problems, I think we should look at the prequels less as maybe even... We should examine the storytelling, but there's some concepts in the prequels that are just not good concepts. The ideas of the Force, right? maybe that's just not good stuff, you know? Maybe, maybe you could explain that as being that, no, that's not how the Force actually was, but yeah. that's what it had become yes. to the Jedi. And, and I, I guess that, that makes it a little better in my mind. It will, and that's The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi Luke, really yeah, tackles Luke that. Says that. Let, wow. Luke basically says that. And so I guess we'll go into that now. I think, I am of the opinion, though there's some wacky stuff in The Last Jedi having to do with Force abilities, and we can disagree with them, 
some flying in space. Yeah, but I, I will say, I think the new trilogy in this, in The Last Jedi, and I know Evan doesn't care for the movie, I like it, um, we're, we're dueling on that issue all the time, um, but I think, and I'm interested in your opinion, that the best, one of the best things to come out of The Last Jedi was the concept of the Force. It has become mystical again. Luke's Luke's lines about the Force, when he's sitting in, in, on Akku in that big cave, right, uh, and he's talking about the Jedi, you know, I mean, he really kind of voiced all the problems I had with the prequels and how they viewed the Force. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of, we talked last week about uh, Rey and Kylo being an amazing part of The Last Jedi. Right. I really think the Force, yes, the flying thing was a bit crazy. I will say I'm not, I'm, I'm not hating it as much as everybody else does, though I don't like it. But I do, I've always wanted to see Leia do something kind of crazy <laughs> with the Force. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was weird. But I mean, yeah, obviously I'm on different side of spectrum on that than maybe almost everybody else. But I don't know. What do you think? Did you did you like how the Force was handled in this movie? I did. Um, I don't think any of my problems with the Last Jedi stemmed from that. Yeah, I really did like Luke's perspective on it. Even I didn't like all of the all of the campy humor, but I kind of did appreciate when he says "reach out" and Ray reaches out her hand and he's touching her finger with the whatever the, <laughs> little, blade, the little stick he was holding or whatever it was uh yeah i feel it no it's not it's yeah. not even that it's something yeah. that is inside you yeah <laughs> in a way so i did like how the force was portrayed in the last jedi and i am kind of excited to see how it is uh going forward no i i, I d thought broom boy is kind of dumb but broom boy but Let maybe he won't be. Maybe he won't be later. Let Roomboy be. But I guess, <laughs> I guess I do like the idea that you know the Force isn't something that's genetic. It's not something that you inherit. It's 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 greater than that. It's something yeah. deeper than that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what. Uh, there's two things I do want to talk about in relation to the Force in the Last Jedi. Uh, the projection right luke's uh, like kind of astral projection yeah. and uh yoda's ability which i think is glossed over by a lot of star wars nerds and i don't want to gloss over it to basically work in the physical world with that lightning bolt i mean that's that's never mm -hmm. happened to my knowledge in a star wars movie where a force ghost is using the force in a way that can affect the world what even um yoda hits luke with his cane in the face yeah and see, okay, so we'll start off with the Yoda thing, right? I personally think this could be an opportunity, and I've said this before, maybe I'm completely wrong, but when I've always had a problem with the fact that Luke's, I mean, Obi-Wan says, you know, you strike me down, Darth, I'll become much stronger, blah, 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 that whole line, great line, but then what happens? He basically becomes Luke's therapist when he needs him, and he lies to him all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how did he actually become any stronger? Like, I really think he could have done everything he did for Luke, by being there for him, plus be another guy wielding a lightsaber, which was a problem I had. Yeah. But if you were to say, which you could say now with this movie, that there are some abilities that you can learn when you're a Force ghost, right? When you're in that 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 area of the Force, that through intense training, maybe and, and practicing, because we know that like in the Force ghost world, you actually do train. Like you're not just sitting there, right? What if? you can actually affect the world. And that's kind of what Yoda has finally been able to do. What if he just got to that point now? Kind of? And I'm not saying that's the case, but I think 
you could open doors with this yeah. concept that we've never opened, and I would love to see them addressed. Because now, when I watch episode four, I can go, yeah, what Obi-Wan has in mind is that he can actually go and start training and how he can influence and work in the world from being a Force ghost. Obi-Wan movie. Obi-Wan's talking to Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon reveals, I didn't just become a Force ghost, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm actually learning. I'm training. I'm becoming something. And that's why mm-hmm. that's why Ben knows that if Darth Vader strikes yeah. him down, then he shall become more powerful than we could ever imagine. Dude. So I don't, that would be perfect. I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be so be, perfect. That would be excellent. Yeah. So, yeah. So in, so I will say, I think Yoda influencing the world like he did, right? Being able to interact with, with Luke was a great thing. I think that it moved the Force along in a way that I've kind of been hoping it would move for a long time. One, um, one fear I do have, though, is I don't, I don't want Force ghosts to become gods. <laughs> I don't want yeah. them to become... Even to have... Like, uh, they won't, but even to have the potential to be the eagles from Lord of the Rings, you know, that come in and <laughs> yeah. could even, you could even say, you know, why didn't the eagles carry them to uh, Mount Doom? And consequently, why didn't Yoda just show up and zap all these stormtroopers? Yeah. Why, no, why does this battle have to happen when there's these forced Jedi, these forced ghosts that could have easily won the battle and they're immortal? <laughs> yeah, I agree. No, I so. agree. I agree. There's a fine line that they need Dude, to walk there. I'm telling you right now, calling it right. Next movie, episode nine, Snoke shows up in the, as a red force ghost and gets in a battle, okay, <laughs> with force ghost Luke and Yoda <laughs> and Qui-Gon and Anakin, and he fights them all, and then Doctor Strange comes through a dimension, and we have the full Disney powerhouse <laughs> battling it out in the other dimension. Oh, man, that w- <laughs> that'd be something else. <laughs> But I think that the what Force Ghosts are is maybe not something that could be pursued in an anthology film, but I think they'll make comics about it, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, could, I, could, I could definitely see that happening. Okay, so last thing on this whole concept of the Force, uh, Luke's astral projection across the galaxy. Some people had a problem with it, some loved it. I will come out and say I thought it was awesome. And because everybody wanted Luke to do some cool, crazy force power. And he basically did. I thought the fact that he, I don't know. I understand some people thought it was kind of a cop-out. And I'm, not, I'm interested to see where you're at on this, Evan. I thought, especially after watching it the second time, when that music kicks in and he's just duped the entire First Order, he's not even there. And he's on, you know, he's floating above that rock with the twin suns. Yeah. That was a powerful that moment cool. for me. My inner Star Wars geekdom was was just going off the walls right there. I mean, it's it's more than it's more than it's more powerful than just surviving laser blasts. Really, I mean, you're projecting a version of yourself that even could you know you know hold and kiss Leia, right? Like all of those things, and that isn't even there across the galaxy i mean that's yeah. that's impressive and and if if luke cannot go down and people have said you know i wanted him to do something crazy to me that's crazy to me in the force world from what we understand of the force that's not something anybody's gonna really ever be able to replicate and you were pointing something out about um what kyla said to ray yeah um the first time they have their uh kyle and ray uh do a skype call um <laughs> which i i liked i, liked I that too. I but the too. first time they do their force skype uh, Kylo, he turned in and he says, you can't be doing this. The exertion will kill you. Yeah. And it's funny, later the exertion does kill Luke. Because maybe this is 
something that takes so much power and so yeah. much energy to do that it would kill a person and it does. And I, I actually did like force projection Luke. That's something that um I guess even that's even that's taken from uh that's taken from legends. During the great hyperspace war, the Sith they didn't have all that many soldiers. Nagasadow was actually able to project entire fleets to fool the Republic. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of recovering that ancient knowledge. Yeah. Man, that, that's not what they were going for. Yeah. But in my mind, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that this, I think The Last Jedi, for all its problems, um, for all of what some people hated about it, some people loved about it, I think the concept of the Force was, even if you don't agree with all the places they took it, they took it away from the places we didn't want it. I think mm-hmm. most Star Wars fans, true Star Wars fans, were not entirely happy with prequel Force World, right? Yeah. And I think The Last Jedi did a lot to recover it and, and develop it in some new ways. So, I definitely agree with that. So that's that's definitely one big positive for me about the Last Jedi, and I guess I am excited for the future of Star Wars. Uh, what's Ryan Johnson going to do with Broom Boy? <laughs> Broom Boy. <laughs> and what is J.J. Abrams going to do with all of this that Ryan Johnson has set up in Episode Nine? You mean tore it out? <laughs> I mean Ryan Johnson's movie is basically a movie. Destroying everything that J.J. Abrams wanted to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, J.J. Abrams created this whole bunch of questions he was hoping Ryan Johnson would develop and then he'd work on. Yeah. And then Johnson just destroys it all. And then here Abrams is with a bunch of broken pieces. I mean, maybe Abrams really came up with some great stuff. And I'm, I'm really, I'm an optimist about the Star Wars universe. I like to think Abrams maybe said, hey, because it sounds like Abrams didn't exactly know all of what Johnson had planned. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think we should stay positive. I think Abrams is a good director, and I think given the playing field he is in now, he might be able to do some really interesting stuff. And we know he had a, he really wanted to do stuff with Rey and her you know, lineage, and it looks like Ryan Johnson's taking it away from him, but perhaps not. So it, it, leaves, it leaves some interesting questions. I think at first coming out of the movie, me and Evan both said, like, What's there left to do? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just gonna end where up being a long movie where we have to wait for one of Ray or Kylo to kill each other, and hopefully Ray will win, which we know she will. Maybe he'll turn, probably not. You know, like it doesn't seem there's much to do. But yeah. the more I think about it, I think I think JJ Abram being so good at really creating things to wrestle with, he's not always the best at fleshing them out, but he is good at creating these these concepts if you ever watch his ted talk he talks about um these boxes that you want to know what's in them that's what you have to do with the movies put these boxes out that make the audience ask what's inside that and you don't tell them you know Mm -hmm. and i think now maybe he'll be able to kind of do some stuff in this new movie where you where you go oh there's got to be something else to this Mm -hmm. you know so that's what i'm excited for in the next movie and i I do have faith in jj abrams there's hope for the future we can all put on our uh rebellion rings and flash them at the sky yeah. So I think that's all we that we all that we have for you today. I want to thank you for listening and for Eric, I am Evan. This has been the Duel of the Fates Nerdcast and we will see you next week. Bye.